0: Hello, sweet friend. I have gotten a fair amount of DMs and emails asking for an update on how my little brother-in-law, Aaron, is doing. And I thought this was the best format to give a brief update. As I've shared on previous podcasts and over in stories, I'm so – I was going to say hesitant, but I'm just – I'm very intentional and very cautious – and slow to share information about anyone that isn't myself. And if you put yourself in the position, I'm, I'm sure we can all relate. You know, if I was in the hospital with breast cancer, would I want a colleague or a sister in law who has a podcast doing an update episode on me? Probably not. That would probably feel weird, even if they were coming from a good place. It would still be like, I feel like I want to be the one giving the updates. And right now, Jamie Foxx, the actor, has been having some health issues. And I noticed yesterday in an article that it was like Kevin Hart said, you know, yeah, I hear he's doing good. You know, he's it was like, "Oh, oh, he's doing better. And then they were like, oh, what can you tell us? And he's like, oh well, his his team's playing it pretty close to the chest because you know, he's just a, a private person. And you're like, okay, so I'm not sure. Actually, Kevin Hart really knows, or maybe Kevin does know more, but is realizing, oh shoot, this interviewer is asking me. I shouldn't be the spokesperson. I actually don't want to share everything that I know. That should be left up to Jamie. Now, of course, those are different when you are a public person. It it feels a little more odd. But then there's also an oddness of being a not public person and thinking there's an update episode on my life somewhere. And yet my heart in sharing this initially was support for Aaron and my, my in-laws. Um, and it was such a blessing. Sharing was so appreciated. The response was so appreciated by the family. We were given housing. We were helped with meals. We found someone to come cut his hair at the rehabilitation center whose mom had just been in, the, been in the rehabilitation center a month ago. Like, We got incredible advice on resources and healing modalities. So it was so powerful to share. And I am sharing this little update today with the energy of one to 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 acknowledge the relationship therefore that we did welcome with people by by the family asking and therefore giving me permission to share Aaron's story we then invited you into it and so wanting to share that in return but then also a lot of my heart in this has been when you go through something just like the grief story that I've been sharing for the last year I've never had a deep grief to share about before, and in sharing it, I have been blown away. I'm not talking about Aaron, but my own grief story. I've been blown away how many comments I've gotten over the last year of those of you that are also in a deep grief that we've been able to relate. And similarly in this, I had no idea there were so many people right in our own audience who had been specifically through a spinal cord injury, and I'm sure there are so many more of you who saw that, had something else you could relate to, cancer, cancer. Um, traumatic brain injury, etc., that still felt seen in the understanding of what it means all of a sudden for a family to be caring for someone. Suddenly people are at the hospital all the time, you know, and just how much that changes in your life. So I'm also sharing this little update really for the niche audience that down the road, someone goes through this six months from now and says, you know what? There's this girl I followed on Instagram, her brother-in-law. Let me go back and find the Instagram posts for you. Let me find the podcast episodes for you. Someone else has been through this. And the even broader case study of us having more empathy for people in our lives who will go through something like this, again, any medical type of complication, and also for the people that we don't see that maybe expands our heart then to realize, you know, I saw that thing floating around in my community about making that new structure that was going up you know, wheelchair accessible or something. And I just, it wasn't as much on my radar. But now that I heard this story about Hillary's brother-in-law, I'm just seeing things differently. And now it's tracking to me. You know, I do think that's an important issue. That is, you know, we do need to be supporting people in that way. And so I think as we hear new stories, it just expands our vision a little bit to notice people that you never noticed before. And in some ways we can't carry everyone's stories but there's little elements. For example, because of Erin, I might have said some on previous podcast, but because of Aaron, I was having a conversation with a colleague. We were talking about gun violence in schools, uh, a group conversation, and someone, one of the women, her daughter, is in a wheelchair. And she said, what we never talk about in this, let's do active shooter drills and all these things, is there, there is no safe way for my child to be protected in that scenario. They they can't run. They can't duck. They can't hide. And I just, I am already deeply passionate about this issue. And I just said, thank you so much for sharing, because this is just another layer of why the the solutions that are being presented by some right now are, are not enough to actually keep all the children safe. And there's just even more layers to this than I understood. So that is ultimately my heart on sharing. And I also have been so sensitive in this specific injury because I never want to share anything about Aaron that feels undignified. And yet so much of being ill or injured is not dignified and being in the hospital and needing help and being hooked up to things or, you know, not just in his scenario, but in so many scenarios I can think of, it, it, I imagine may not feel dignified to lose your hair while you're going through chemotherapy. So whether or not you're comfortable with someone sharing that photo of you, you have to decide that you've decided whether you are comfortable with your thinning hair, with your bald head, whether you prefer a wig, whether you prefer a scarf. Like, So I just think the sensitivity around that I am highly aware of, and yet also the dichotomy of it. it. It is not a dignified process, so how can you share it while retaining so much respect and dignity for the person? And I feel all the more so then it just is disrespectful to try to summarize it in a two, three-minute recap over on Instagram stories because there is so much complexity to it that I think just flattens it and makes it sound either more pathetic or more encouraging. If I was to try to summarize what I'm going to share here in three minutes, you wouldn't get all of it. And I just think it's too important. And so for me, what we talk about on the podcast is like If you really wanna know, then you're listening here. If you kind of just casually wanted to know, then you actually don't need to know the details because you don't care that much. Zero judgment. It's just, I don't care that much, so I don't read the whole article, right? The things I'm really interested in, I'm gonna read the book on, and that's where I'm gonna get the depth that's gonna mean something to me. If it doesn't really mean something to me, then I can just, you know, scroll the headline or I don't need to consume it. So here is the update. When on March 19, this accident happened, and so today is The, you know, we're six, I'm looking at my calendar, six, I think it's been seven weeks now since the accident. So, right off the bat, in the first 48 hours, when we were told he is a quadriplegic with a 1% to 2% chance of ever getting out of a wheelchair, that was such horrific news to try to process. And you cannot help but think, with no experience in this, knowing no one who's been through this, you cannot help but think, oh my gosh, his life is over. This is is maybe the worst thing that could happen to you other than death, but you also can imagine that someone in this position might have dark moments where they wish they just had died. Because- How much of a life is it if you truly have no movement from the neck down? I mean, it is the most extreme thing you could imagine happening to you as a healthy, active, outdoorsy 26 year old, you know, six foot two guy. So there was just such shock and horror. Those first few weeks, and in week four, we had a family meeting. There were some different people that were going to visit, some of his best friends, uh, the the other younger bro- young brother, and the 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 family that was on the ground was really preparing them and said, "I don't think you are probably prepared for just how hard it is to see him, just how intense the energy is in this room." all of the machines, everything that has to be done. And because at that point, the family had been, we have a WhatsApp group, but there were very few, the photos of Aaron didn't look great. You would FaceTime with him, and he seemed completely normal because he had zero brain injury. So you're chatting with him on FaceTime. Someone else is holding the camera up. If that camera is steady and at a good angle, you can forget that he's not holding the camera up. And this is not just, oh yeah, I'm in the hospital after an appendectomy. Sure, I'm wearing a hospital gown, but I'm just chit-chatting, you know, I'm I'm fine. I'm just recovering, excuse me, in this bed. You can, your brain can forget that. But then you would see these really brief videos because the family kept doing really brief videos, like three seconds, literally, of him like trying to move his arm or something. And so you kind of saw, oh, right, he really can't move, But then you also weren't really getting big picture visuals of it. You weren't seeing, you know, the 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 full three and a half minute process it takes to get him from the chair into the bed and just how long that journey is with this big machine and two different people, et cetera, no one was seeing that. And so because the people on the ground, I better understood once I was there. Had no time to do it. They were being so in the present moment. Of, do you want us to take your glasses off? Do you want lip balm? Oh no, are you going to start start coughing? Do we need to to call someone because you don't have all of your ab strength and you could choke? Do we? Are you cold? Like the the shivering is an issue. The blood pressure is an issue. Do you need to lay back? Should we take your blood pressure? Should we call the nurse? There's just constantly something to be done. At, I believe, an even higher complexity than if it was an infant that, you know, an infant is helpless, then you're trying to help them do things. But a human, an infant has never known anything different. And so, and they, they have simpler needs. They they don't have glasses. They don't need lip balm. They don't, when it's time for them to pee, they're in a diaper, they just pee. We don't have to track the water so we know exactly what time the catheter needs to be released. Like it actually is so much more complex. And then you have this full autonomous human being who is used to being able to do all these things. And unlike a baby can't even scratch their own nose. A baby can get on up there and rub their their hand on their nose pretty quickly. So it's even more complex than that. So I realized why the family had no time to be giving any of those updates. So I remember in week four, we were on this call and the oldest sister was just saying, I don't think you guys realize how how bad it is. That was still in week four. Jeremy and I showed up in week six and I am believing that the right people are going at the right time for the energy that Aaron needs, for the role that Aaron needs in that season, that would never have occurred to me until we went. But it really felt to me. We got we had a family call the other day, and my father in law said, um, "Jeremy and Hillary, thank you so much. I just can't thank you guys enough." And his his voice started to crack, and it was silent for a while. And I just said, "You know, I, I'm I." not even sure. I think he just was trying to say it was, it helped so much that you were there. And and they were not there. My my in-laws went home to rest. We really let my sister-in-law get a full night of sleep every night um, because she had been doing the night shifts. So really Jeremy was there. He did the night shifts and was there all during the day. And then I would also be there during the day and the sister-in-law would be there for part of the day. So he, the father-in-law wasn't even seeing any of what was happening. But I think he could just sense the energetic difference. And I said, I really believe now that God is sending the right people at the right time. The way schedules and different things like that have have landed, I think Jeremy and I were there at the right time because I think Aaron's mindset was just starting to turn. I think it was still really dark in week four. It was shifting a little bit in week five. And because if you see the photos and the videos, which we're actually just starting to see because I started a Dropbox um, for the family to try to capture all these for Aaron and to be able to share the story more long-term on social media, on his account, um, I think there's – I mean, it, it it's so rough in the beginning. He's hooked up to all these wires. He has this huge neck brace. He's never out of a hospital gown. Um, he has – no movement at all, except for like a little bit of flop in his right arm. So I think bit by bit, there was progress. And I think he initially, he actually filmed a video because a lot of you guys had asked, I said, I think you should film a video on like how you're doing mentally, not, you know, and he was like, for your audience. And I was like, no, just because if they're asking, other people have to be asking. Your, your, your friend's sisters have, your sister's friends have to be asking, Your friends have got to be wondering, the people who supported you on GoFundMe, um, so thank you to the Teen Street Society audience for asking because that kind of let me know other people want to know this. Um, And so what he shares in that, which eventually we'll get up on social media, if I could summarize, is I think the first couple weeks were just shock, were just that horror, that tear, like – I think just the shock, you're just like, I can't believe this is real life. I can't believe this is real life. Why? I could have just not biked that day. I could have just not, my whole life changed in an instant. I could have made a different choice. Like, I think that's sort of the first thing. And then you move into the, you know, they say there aren't those stages of grief, but like, isn't the first one kind of denial? I think you're in that denial that's just the shock. I cannot believe this is real life. And then it was this depression of, I, this is just horrible. This is just horrible. I can't, I, I still can't believe this is my life, but it is sunk in now. And it is just so dark and so heavy. And then I think because he started seeing progress, also the weekend that we were there, Sundays are his least favorite day because there's no therapy. So there's nothing to do. Like he doesn't feel any progress. And when you cannot move your body... All you want is progress to move your body. You're not like, oh good, let's watch movies today. Like, no, I I want my life back. So Sundays were a really hard day and we got there on a Saturday night and that Sunday, it just happened to be that there was actually, there was five of us. There was three siblings, myself, and an aunt. And I think that was the first good Sunday he had because it was like a whole crew, like a a group of six hanging out is very different than an energy one-on-one. It's very different than hanging out with your one sister that you've been hanging out with every day, hanging out with your mom who's always around. Like suddenly it was four of us that are never there, three of us that had were there for the first time and you just have that group dynamic. People are chatting, they're laughing. I think we were able to spend more time talking about things that were not you know related to him. You just feel like a normal person when you're laughing and talking about things that aren't your condition because every time somebody does FaceTime you, They want an update on your condition. So you just constantly are talking about that so much. So I think that Sunday really made a difference. And then the oldest sister feels like there's just – she's like, he is so different around the brothers. She's like, there is just a different brother energy. The sisters bring a mother hen energy, like he's the baby of the family. All the sisters are like mini moms doting over him, plus you've got mom. And she's like, the brothers, there is just this silliness. There's a razzing. Like, it it totally makes sense. So he'd had a brother there for a few days, and then Jeremy was just the second brother to come. So I think Jeremy being there for a full week, um, and the, also the first brother that went had also had a medical complication earlier in in his life. He had an injury. He was in the hospital for a long time. He had to relearn how to walk, and so... I think they were actually able to connect more on the empathy of being afraid you can't do things again, being you know, all of that. I think they could connect more on the trauma part of it. And then here Jeremy comes in, and he's just more the, the we're going to have fun. How can I help? I'm there as well, which means that at almost all times... There's 3 of us there, which again is just a different energy than 2, right? 2 you got to keep going back and forth. When there's 3 people, it's just a, you know, a, a third time of the energy and also you just don't have to dialogue as much. I think it just It's just different energy, right? If you go to to brunch with three girlfriends versus one, the three girlfriends, there's a good chance it's gonna end up a little bit sillier, a little bit vibier. So I think we were just able to bring that as well as his mindset was changing, as well as his blood pressure is a a really big issue because basically your, your body is used to pumping blood up and down your body all day. When we are standing on our feet all day, our our body is pumping that cyclically. In his case the blood goes down and then because of the I don't know what you would call it the the nerves are asleep the nerves are, are aren't getting the message from the spinal cord right now. So they they can't send it back up. So it's like the blood goes down and it doesn't get back up. So his blood pressure is a really big issue. If it goes too low, it can infect your organs, affect um and and you know your Liver, I'm guessing those kinds of things. And, but it's really discouraging to him because when it drops low, they won't let him do physical therapy. And again, you're there to get better. So the last thing you want to be doing is laying around. So the very first day we were there on Monday, they said to him that how many hours – he asked, is how many hours I'm spending in the bed contributing to the problem? And they said yes. They said if you could spend more time in your – Power chair, your power wheelchair, that would be better. That would help. So starting that first night that that Jeremy and I were there on Monday, he got back into the chair. He does some personal care things from like four to six. And normally he was just in bed after that. He got back in the chair. And so I also think he'd just been sitting in, in the bed. He'd been eating dinner in the bed. Now we're also, the weather was just turning. That was a big thing too. We would go outside multiple times a day. We're you know, heading over to the next building that has a Starbucks. We're watching NBA finals. There was a conference room across the hall that had a huge TV. And we're like, hey, let's go hook up the NBA game in there and watch it in there. Like, that was fun. So I think we were just doing more at night and there was more of us. So I really do feel like that was such a turning point in his energy. And when we pulled away on last Saturday, on the the, the end of week six, basically, on the 22nd, um, which was really hard. Jeremy and I cried when we got in the car. Jeremy's mom said Aaron cried once we pulled away. Um, But I also said I I came in bracing for how hard it was going to be to see him. And actually, the first day we saw him, I was like, he's better than I was expecting him to be. And we're leaving, and I'm feeling such hope that – He's gonna have a great life. He's gonna have a great life. There's no way that he's not gonna have a great life. What I mean by that, though, I also am very sensitive to because my definition of a great life is being able to do your own personal care. Personal care would be going to the bathroom, showering putting your clothes on and off. And if you have control of your arms and your core, you can do those things for yourself. If you do not have that, you can't do those things for yourself. And so that's my definition. And I am believing Aaron is absolutely on track to get those things back. But I'm also so aware when I say that Aaron has a colleague at work who was um uh, became a quadriplegic at 18. I'm guessing he's like 35 now. So for, you know, half his life at this point, he has been a quadriplegic. And I imagine he would tell you he has a great life. He is a software engineer like um like Aaron and Jeremy are. He can do all of his tech um, with, with adaptive technology. He can do his work with adaptive technology, um, with, with headsets, with mouse, mouth clickers. Um, he, like Aaron has movement in his, um, in his upper arm, um, but not in his wrist or fingers, but that's still enough to be able to like, you know, use a brace on your arm to use a stylus to use an iPad. I am guessing those sorts of things. So has a great career got married like maybe seven years ago, years after the accident to an amazing uh, woman who's just delightful. And he has 16 neighbors in a four block radius that all together are part of his personal care team. And friends, when I tell you like the idea that there are just everyday ordinary angels who are loving their neighbor. I mean, I've never heard a story like that. You're telling me that you just heard of a couple that moved three streets over and you volunteered to be the one who goes over on Tuesdays at four o'clock and helps that person go to the bathroom so that they're wife isn't the one to do that and so that they are able to maintain a little bit of that, of that normalcy that you are I mean I just cannot believe but I think that's the way to sum it up this individual who has a spouse so the spouse uh his wife turns him I believe once in the middle of the night because that's another issue if you can't roll yourself over then you can have you can end up with bed sores um so that's the whole thing so um so she is, So he is not living alone because he has a partner. I don't know what he did before he met his wife. But he also has 16 people that support him to, to help him with this. But I want to have the utmost respect that he has a great life. I don't want to proclaim over him that that's not a great life. And this is where these situations get so sensitive and so complex because I wouldn't want to just go on Instagram and say that and have someone following me whose family member is still a quadriplegic and is not able to do these personal care things and for me to declare over their lives that that's not a great life. And this is where comparative suffering (laughs) never helps and why it is so hard to talk about complex things on social media because we can, what is the balance between saying, I don't want this to be the end of the story I want more. I want more for this person that I love and I believe that it is possible and I am celebrating that while also not making someone who says, I think this is the end of the story for my person. I think this is as far as it goes. That you are not looking down on them. You are not implying that there is a pity for them. We talked about this in the the first episode when I shared. Like pity is just such a gross Feeling to have for someone else, and to feel that people have for you, and yet, how do we say that's not what I want for Aaron? And it's I also am completely valid in saying I don't think that's a great life for Aaron, and I don't think that's the life he's going to lead. And I am so grateful. That is the main thing that is giving me positivity right now. Now, the the a difference, by the way, that I'll note here. I think I am correct in this from the from the little info that i have gleaned is i believe there is a difference between a complete and an incomplete spinal cord injury and that you can have an injury on the same vertebrae but it can be complete where it was severed which i believe is Aaron's colleague it can be incomplete where it was very very smushed which is Aaron and then it can also be a little less smushed he had a um uh made a friend in their um that um, I believe his was not as smushed as Aaron. I believe he made more progress and he left in a wheelchair that he could w- could um, push himself around in after his eight weeks. He just left um, last week with Aaron only having, where are we at? I'm looking at the calendar. One, two. Aaron's only in there for two more weeks, which is wild. Aaron is not going to leave, I do not believe, pushing himself in a wheelchair the way his friend Justin did. So even though they came in with the same injury there was different levels of severity in it. So in Aaron's case he was we were told there was probably a 55 to 65% chance of regaining the movement from the waist up. And then within that I said to Aaron they're taking out of that 55 to 65% everyone who is in your same category but who's had your same injury rather but within that injury you've got people of all different ages so that includes somebody who is 80 whose bones are very brittle that includes different weights and and types of health in general you could have had someone that was very overweight, that really struggled with muscle strength to begin with, where you were bringing more of that in. Um, the family support, which is not just emotional, though that is huge, but there are five people full to part-time taking care of Aaron. I would say there are five people, his parents and three of his siblings, that it is either their full-time job right now, Mom's mom, dad, sister, or I would estimate the other two sisters are probably spending a minimum of 20 hours a week. So it is, let's combine that into four full-time people that are caring for him, that are dealing with his insurance, that are figuring out the vans, that are figuring out the home accessibility, that are there with him, that are um, you know, massaging him, that are doing the stretching, doing the physical therapy, all the things when he doesn't have sessions, keeping him company, keeping his mind set up doing the research on the healing modalities. I mean, all of the things that go into it, how few people would have four human beings that could do that. I mean, that just is not the norm. Then on top of that, he has insurance. Not everyone has insurance. He was, was injured in a location that has amazing, like Nielsen where he's at right now and NeuroWorks where he's going to next. When I put the word, when I shared this, there were two centers that all of y'all mentioned that that knew this, that knew this world. Everyone said, you need to get him to Craig or you need to get him to a different Craig. I'm sorry. I didn't even say Craig. The Nielsen Center is called the Craig Nielsen Center. There is also a center in Denver called the Craig, C-R-E-G-G. Everyone said you need to get him to Craig or NeuroWorks. I had no idea for a month that NeuroWorks is in Salt Lake City one of the two places that everyone said to go is right there. And so the fact that he we didn't have to then Move him to a new place. Deal with getting him to a new place. Whatever. So how many people, unfortunately, in this country, devastatingly, unjustly, heartbreakingly, do not have insurance, or are living someplace that just does not have good care around? They they aren't the cutting edge place. They aren't doing the newest technology. He happened to be there, and then also who just have a positive mindset. There are just people that are more negative. Um, you know, people who have a faith in God. Statistically. Are more likely to heal. This is not my opinion. This is based on science and statistics. Um, so coming in, Aaron is such a goal-oriented person. I did not know this. Like, he is our people, y'all. <laughs> like, if if he was, you know, 10 years older and a woman, he would be using the Elegant Excellence journal. He would be in the Elegant Excellence community. He is all about like goal setting and vision casting and Mindset and growth and bettering yourself. So, when you add all of those up together, I'm like, you are in the top 10% of people this has happened to in terms of all you have going for you. So, when we talk about 55 to 65%, we're having to also include all the, the other 90% of people that you are just blessed to have more going for you. So, for me, I have a, with the progress he's already made, I just have a hard time believing. His left arm is starting to come back just a little bit. You may have seen on Instagram stories the other day. He has some movement in his wrist, which his doctors geeked out on. And his doctors are very neutral. We think legally, they are not. They are not allowed to give false hope, so they are very. They aren't discouraging, but they are not encouraging. They are very neutral. And the fact that they were like, "Okay, we're we're gonna excuse ourselves to go geek out in the hallway," I'm like, I. Wait, this was huge. Aaron was like, I have never gotten encouraging word in six weeks here. I think it was into week seven. And he's like, this was far and away the most excited they've been that he had some movement in the wrist, which I then take to mean, okay, we can have movement in the arm, in the bicep, but it may never come back to the wrist. And so the fact that it's moving to the wrist is not what happens for everyone. And that that the fact that it's coming online at all, I am purely hypothesizing now That it's like once, I'm thinking of it like once the signal gets to the wrist, now it's going to build more. But it either doesn't get to the wrist or it gets there and it builds. So even though it's slight right now, does that mean to them, and I'm going to actually ask this, does this mean we're going to get wrists? And then after wrist comes fingers, so you don't know about that. But without fingers, you can push yourself in in a regular wheelchair. You can Lift yourself in and out of a, a bed, a shower, a toilet, you know all of those kinds of things. So even if you don't get the fingers back, that's the majority of the movement that you need. I think the, the challenging things at this point are some of the mindset stuff. You know, when people ask, "How is Aaron doing? "How are you guys feeling?" Again, it is complicated to say, for example, I believe now. That he can have a great life if he is in a wheelchair, if he has full functionality from the waist up, he can be doing work, he can be living by himself, he can be getting himself around in the wheelchair. he can be playing wheelchair, basketball. he can you know whatever. But I also hold out the vision that he can also have a a great life and be walking, and that that is still a possibility. and I think it's a question that we all grapple with. How do you sit in both places? You want to hold out the vision for complete healing, for the best possible answer to the story. But there also is part of you that admits, it doesn't have to be that though, and it can still be good. But does that make me feel like I am caveating? I'm I'm, I'm not all in on the best case scenario. I'm like, well, I don't really believe it, which is why I'm also giving you a but it's a great life in a wheelchair too. And I think so many people can relate to that. If you are struggling with infertility, is the reality that you will have a great life, even if you never have a baby or you had a stillbirth and you were trying to get, you you have children, you had a stillbirth. You're thinking, "If if I can have another baby, I will feel like there that that was that was the end of our story. But what if that never happens? What if that redemption never happens? How do you say in part of your brain, we are still gonna have a good life if we never have children? While also your heart saying, I want nothing more than to have children and I am on this path and I am going to the doctor's appointments and I am putting the money in, or you know, whatever all of those steps are, because you're fighting for that. I think it makes – I put putting like both of my palms on my forehead. I think it makes our heads hurt to ask how do, I, how do I hold both of those? How do I not play small to not chase the best possible outcome but also not narrow the joy and tell myself your life's always going to be a little bit worse if that doesn't happen but then also not feel like I'm giving 100% to making that that – that happened, so within holding that mental tension, I also acknowledge that either way, it is still a very long road, and so I struggle to answer succinctly, how is Aaron doing because in week seven right now, he is doing so much better than what than the terror we were living in week zero to four. He really started to turn a corner in week five. He is doing great in some ways, is what I authentically want to say. He's doing great. And yet I also don't want to diminish that this is such a long road. And that if this hadn't happened seven weeks ago, he would be going on dates and Going mountain biking and hanging out at a friend's house, and instead he's going to physical therapy and wondering when he's going to be able to get back to work. And you know, it's it it is still a long road, and we have no idea what that timeline is, what those milestones are. Um, He is out of the rehabilitation center in two weeks, which I think is going to be amazing in some ways to get back to his own home. You're not in a hospital anymore. You, You aren't surrounded by nurses. You start to kind of return more to that normalcy. And yet also you are in your quote normal life not feeling or functioning at all like you were before. And instead of going to work, you're going to therapy and your sister lives with you now and your parents are in town now, like are presumably living there now. So I also don't want to diminish by saying he's doing great as, ah, I mean, it's pretty much over guys. Like he's great. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a happy ending because then that diminishes that this is going to be likely, I'm guessing, or at least it is, it is an, absolutely an option that he could still be learning, to, relearning to walk three years from now. I mean, this could, he, he could end up fully walking again, but it have been a year's process. It could be having to fly their places to see specialists. It could be moving someplace else for some sort of special treatment. It could be having to continue to fundraise because this is the thing we think would make a difference, but you don't have money for it. I mean, there's so many other elements that I just struggle, again, to briefly say that. And I think so many of us, not even about illness and injury, can relate to that. Like, how are you doing? when you had a miscarriage or a stillbirth or your child died or your mother died or your best friend died or you're, you get to a point where you're doing really well, right? Compared to how much the horror was in the beginning. But also you're not doing as great as you were before the trauma. So how do we caveat that yeah, it's 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 great with an asterisk with an additional, you know, sentence of great if comparing to where I was 6 weeks ago, not comparing to where I was, you know, pre-accident. Um because we don't want to diminish how long the road is To grief, to healing, emotionally, physically, whatever it is. Um, And we are hoping to be able to help him share his story more on social media. So much of it, I think, is important that it is his voice that is sharing this. But even there, there's a challenge. I mean, he can't, he can't type, he can't hold a yet, he can't hold a phone in his hands yet. So and he was not on social media before. He doesn't have a like, I mean, barely. Um, he's like, I guess, you know, too cool really for that. He hadn't posted on Instagram in a year and a half. So it's not like it's natural to him to be giving updates on his life, that it's hard for him to wrap his mind around. Who's seeing this? What is the purpose of this? What do I really want to share? Um, and so it's, it. and then it's also the time factor. I was trying to help out while I was there. I got one post up and I filmed other stuff, but now I've been back to my life. I haven't posted on my own Instagram feed in a month. Now, by the time you hear this, hopefully, please, Lord, I will have. But there's been, been so much going on in our life, in addition to Aaron, with work things, with other things, that I haven't had that time. So certainly, if I have to be, you know, or not have to be, but you know, if I'm doing this for my business, this is like something that is deeply important to me, and I'm not even having, I need to be prioritizing that. So I'm realizing I don't have time to support Aaron in that way. I don't have the 20 hours that some of his other siblings have um, because my, my work does go beyond that. So we're wanting to share that. And I share that because, again, for anyone else who is in these situations, I, I acknowledge now often as a follower that I've been like, I want updates from this person. But I realize now. I think you either are an Amanda Clutes, which was she was already someone who was sharing her life daily on Instagram. A colleague of mine from a million years ago on a Broadway tour. When her husband Nick Cordero went into the hospital with COVID, she was already sharing daily. She was using Instagram the way I use Instagram, and that was her channel and her outlet to share and to give updates and to update everybody all at once. But if that's not your mo over there and I can very much appreciate now that you're like I have no time to fill anyone in. And yet, here's this supportive community that wants to be a part of this and needs to be filled in. And if we can't update with the amount of people we have on Aaron's team, with me being a social media person, if it is this hard for us to get those updates out, I just have so much empathy for and and maybe this helps all of us have more empathy when we know someone going through a hard time and we're like, gosh, I'd love to know how they're doing, but they're not updating their social. They won't text me back. And just this, it is such a, a conundrum that you want that community and support and the updates, but that takes time. And if it's not naturally part of your inclination, and if you don't already have the, the muscle memory to make it one place, you know, if if something happened, if this was, Jeremy, instead of Aaron, I would, I would be on my Instagram stories. I wouldn't be thinking about it. I would just be posting on there because I already know what I'm doing. But that is not most people in these scenarios. And so that has been just interesting to see as well. But I think ultimately, Aaron, like a lot of people in life, is in a long and multi-layered story. and. I just want to remind you if you feel you are in a long and multi layered story, I feel that I am in multiple long and multi layered stories. And now I see Aaron in one. I think there are far more of us than we realize that do not have succinct three sentence summaries of how we're doing. Because there are so many layers to it, it's very complex to answer authentically. And if we try to sum it up in three sentences, then it it just minimizes it because it feels too neat. Someone's like, "Oh well, bummer that nothing's going good," and you're like, "Well, no, actually, like I am growing and progressing." Or you're like, "Great, glad to hear it's awesome," and you're like, "I'm uh, um, I didn't say awesome. Uh, what I meant to say was." And I've talked about this before on stories that I think that also it can make you socially awkward that it's like, Ugh, I, I I don't have an hour with somebody, so I'm not going to be able to explain it all. And so you just try to close up or you just maybe avoid, like, I don't even want to go to church because people are going to ask. And the idea of having to give everyone the five-minute story and spending an hour c- combined between before and after church telling that five-minute story you know, 12 times is just, it's just too much. It's just exhausting. Can somebody else just do the, the, you know, can my neighbor just take the kids? Because I hate doing school pickup now. Somebody is going to ask how my husband is doing. And I just, I don't, I don't have a short answer and I don't want them to pity me, but I also don't want them to think that we're doing great or not, but I don't want to seem negative because there is progress and I am grateful and just all of that complexity. and that. I really believe that far more stories have a good ending, and yet the ending, the good ending, isn't guaranteed, and that that in and it of itself, when you are trying to have peace with. Can I claim that I believe there's going to be a good ending here? And I really do believe that for Aaron? I think all of the, the signs point in that direction. And again, my definition of a good ending is you can do your personal care and live independently. Um, that is my, my definition in this scenario. And yet there are so many other stories where you can't guarantee that you you don't know if if we are going to survive the cancer we don't know what it is going to feel like if we can't have children we don't know that the the nerve ending is coming back that the person is waking up out of the coma and how do you how do you know when to have the faith, when to not want to be disappointed or not want to be overly idealistic, but that also not want to be negative. And there's someone in our extended family who was in a coma, was told if they ever came out of it, they would pretty much be a vegetable. And their husband just didn't, just didn't believe it, just didn't believe it. And you could say, oh, it's just... It's getting awkward. He's just not, he's not accepting reality. He's not accepting reality. And I actually had another friend in a similar scenario. She believed her husband was going to come out of a coma. And I remember a friend of mine saying, I just think she's, she's just in denial. She's just not willing to accept reality. And then one day the family member just woke up out of the coma and said, can you call my husband and gave his phone number? And she was fine. And the other friend from my church, her husband woke up from the coma and is pretty much fine. I mean, you can like notice it a little bit in his face and in the way he walks. But I mean, by and large, he's good. And so in both those cases, you had people saying, I, I, I love this person. I would never just judge them in general. But oh, my heart is breaking because I don't think they're being realistic. I don't think this is going to have a good ending. And those are good, loving friends. You know, like they're wanting the best for you. They, they, how long, how long do you keep someone on life support for? How long, you know, like it it feels, oh, I don't, I feel like they should be making a different choice. I feel like, oh, I feel like they're making this harder on themselves. Oh, like, and yet in both of those cases, which are just two cases, but in both of those, there was a good, good ending. And yet there are, also, plenty of cases where there isn't a good ending. And I think that's the, the complexity, the illness and injury kind of brings to the surface. But again, we can relate to on so many levels. It, you are pursuing your, your, uh, your acting career. Is it going to have a good ending? You are pursuing entrepreneurship. You are pursuing, I don't know, going and being an expat. Like Whatever your dream is, Is it going to have a good ending? We don't know. So much of the time, we don't know. And so how do we walk that line between having these big, bold, beautiful visions of the absolute best we can have in life and pursue that with all of our heart and also believe yes and There are a lot of other paths or steps along the way that are not that 100% vision that also are a great life, and there also are lives that end or lives that have a lower ceiling than we wish would be the answer, and yet people, people live those lives with what I'm referring to now as a a lower ceiling for lack of better imagery. And then there are the lives that end and that is the end of that story. And yet everyone around them goes on and keeps living. So friends, life is just complex. (laughs) It is complex. It is hard to sum up. And I hope that this makes you feel less alone in that. Because I, I had a family friend to me say the other day, who knows the story of what I'm walking through and some other things, um, a, someone in their 60s or 70s that I've known my whole life. And um, they said, we we have been where you are. And they've not been in my exact same scenario, but they met similar seasons. They said, we've for for them and their husband, she said, we have been where you are. And it's just a story we're all living in. And I've been thinking about that phrase, it's just a story we're all living in, meaning... There's ups and downs for everyone. There's highs and lows. There's heartbreaks and fears and success and joy. And you can look at a family that has so much going for them on the outside, and yet then you hear other parts of the story and you remember, oh, right, they went through that thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. Oh, yeah, I may not have as much as they do in this area, but they've also walked through these hard things over here. So yeah, what you could just say is we all have highs and lows. We all have had disappointments and heartbreaks, and we've all had blessing and privileges. We've all had luck and things go our way. And we also have all looked at somebody else and thought, why is it so much easier for them? So we're all in the same story. It's a story we are all living in, and we can all relate. And I am sending you so much love and empathy for where you are at. And I appreciate so much all of the love and empathy that you have sent to um, Aaron and my husband's family. And we are very grateful um, to have this beautiful community that I am a part of that has helped people I care about in such a tangible way. And that is absolutely a privilege that I have. And I do not take that for granted. And I am very, very, grateful for it. I'll see you soon.